What's good? I'm Chris from the Chris Collins Show Millennial Talk Show. The Phoenix Within, a rock project hailing from Queens, New York, released their long-awaited full-length album, Overdue, joins Off the Fret. More music, more music talk. Listeners, our guest joining us from Queens, New York, is four-piece rock band The Phoenix Within to discuss their long-awaited, full-length album, Overdue, out now, wherever you listen to music. This is Off the Fret. More music, more music talk. And Omar, you know, let's get right on to, into it. First question. You know, where did the band name The Phoenix Within come from? The Phoenix Within came uh, because of a conversation I had with a friend of mine at the time. He was also a roommate. Uh, I met him in college. His name is Robert Fernandez. Now he's Dr. Robert Fernandez. No. Ooh, (laughs) getting that doctor. (laughs) One day we were sitting around. This is like undergrad time. We were studying, eating a shit ton of pizza and wings and just stuff that I can't do anymore <laughs> <laughs> but where did um, the phoenix come from I'm, I'm still not hearing it where did the phoenix i got the within you're eating chicken within yeah, the belly right, <laughs> right. i get the, i, we I know where talking. the within word comes from but where did the phoenix come from <laughs> we were talking about the zodiac sign and he was telling wow. me that scorpios have different layers that's right oh my god he's a scorpio i'm a scorpio yes phoenix is on my back Okay, so I know where you're going, saying, but go ahead yeah, and explain. They, they have the evolution process, right? Uh, yes! They can evolve into uh, a phoenix, you know, as, as their maximum, right? Like the maximum potential. And I remember just, you know, eating my pizza and thinking, oh, so you have a phoenix within. And then I just stopped. You know, we were taking notes, took my pen, I wrote down the Phoenix Within, and I was like, like I'm going to use that later. That's so brilliant. No, That's, and for like, no, and listeners out there, just so you know, so like a Scorpio has four different renditions because we're complicated like that. You got the Scorpion. <laughs> the snake, the eagle, and then the phoenix. So. See, that's yeah. fascinating because I was totally coming from a different approach, thinking that you guys were possibly thinking about Greek mythology. I know with the phoenix, it's not real, but it's something that you want to live up to, and it's this famous bird that's supposed to be the sun. That, that has nothing to do with it, I'm assuming. No, nothing. not at all. I mean, I am a big comic book fan, so definitely, you know, I was like, cool. Like, you know, my first thing went to the, you know, to X-Men. X-Men like Phoenix? Yes! <laughs> I love her. Jean Grey turned yeah. over into a Phoenix. <laughs> so what I think we're finding out is that the Phoenix Within's overall name is ever-evolving. And it will consistently have multiple meanings uh, as it goes on into the future. I love that. And I think what's so cool, Omar, is, you know, hardcore fans of the Phoenix Within might not know this about the band, but the instrumental ensemble, and I know you play the guitar, but the instrumental ensemble right behind your back are a group of three biological brothers, John, Nick, and James Narlis. And how did you meet the Narlis brothers? I mean, what's the story? I met, uh, I initially met Nick first. Nick Narlis was the bassist. Uh, I met Nick through his dad when, you know, his dad, uh, he, he works at the place where I work. I work in school. I work at your college in Jamaica, Queens, shout out. And um, he works at the, in the building. He's one of the painters. And every time he's at work doing whatever he's doing, uh, he's always got his little radio, just playing music. You know, it's always rock music. One day uh, he some come into campus with a guitar and he was like, oh, you play. And then, you know, the a conversation spiraled. He's like, oh, my boys play too, you know. And he's like, actually, uh, Nick, the youngest, he's a bassist and he's actually looking to get into a project. And I was like, 
I got nothing going on, man. I was like, I, all I do is write. I was like, let's, uh, if you can give me his info, like, you know, maybe we could link up. And sure enough, before the week was done, I met up with Nick and we just had a great synergy. Um, we started writing together and then start performing together. And maybe I think I, I would say like, maybe like six months passed like that, where we're just writing and, and playing shows. And then I got lucky enough that the other so two you brothers were playing too. Okay, so it was uh, you and Nick before the two brothers ended up joining in. Yeah, so you had yeah. replacements before them. I find that just so crazy that the father of uh, you know the Narlis family was the one that was like, you know what? I see something in you. I see so much potential. Let's get my kids on board <laughs> because there's something magical happening uh, between our conversation between the father and yourself, Omar. I think that is so, so cool. And did you find out quickly, like, are they a music? family uh the, i mean yeah the dad i think when he was uh younger he started trying to play guitar uh, i didn't really work out for him but he's very artistic though like he draws and he, and he you know he, he paints he has that side to him you know uh, i'm not really sure about the mom's side but um all three of them you know one is a drummer one is a bassist one's a guitarist and they really take the instruments serious you know they just to this day like you know uh not as much as uh you know Definitely not James, because that's just drummers. You always throw it. Why you gotta hate on the drummers always every band? You throw it, slam it on them right at the beginning of the interview. No, I'm just to the bus all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're just like, hey, just let me know when you guys have already got all the guitars tuned and everything, and then I'll come in and start slapping my toms and bass, and then I'll get tuned in, you know, for the live gig. Caveman. (laughs) with his sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Omar. That's so funny. And you know what, Omar? We're about to be playing the opening track from your brand new LP, Overdue, called Copycat, which is like the perfect song to prepare us for what's to come from the rest of the record. So talk to me about what this song is all about. Copycat is straight up, um, you know, I, I'm a big pop punk fan, you know, uh, that's what I kind of grew up, you know, listening to, but it, you know, it's very easy to fall into a, a little trap, right? For any artist where you respect or you listen to an artist and you kind of just copy their style and mm. you copy it so much that maybe you go up there, you go and perform a set and then, you know, like you sound exactly like that artist. There's no difference between there, you know? Uh, so it, those it are really called embraces... cover bands, by the way. Yeah, those are called four <laughs> chord progressions. I always crack up. I always crack up because then the band will be playing. They sound just like Green Day, and then they have one cover in their set. And guess what? They're covering. It's Green Day. Green Day. It's like just call yourselves, you know, Yellow Day and cover Green Day all day long. You know. Oh my God, it's funny. Um, but it's funny that you actually said that because I do get that kind of influence from that track copycat, especially when you open up the song with that acoustic, you know, guitars coming in. That gave me such 2000, you know, that kind of pop punk emo phase going on. Was that something that you wanted to encompass within the opening of that track? I think that's just how I write. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big 2000s uh, music, you know, like uh the guy, the guys, they're more of like the classic, the uh, 80s, 90s, grunge era. And of course, the classic stuff are more of like the 2000s and, you know. It's funny that, that you say that, that, that Omar, because I definitely feel that in the beginning. I feel the first half of the record, I feel like it's kind of your sound. And then towards the back end, you start to hear some of that grungy experimental tracks. And you know what, listening audience, you guys are in for a treat right now. We might as well play the opening track 
right now. This is their music video called Copycat live on Off the Fret. I'm not trying to be anybody else. And I don't mean any disrespect. the phoenix within and that's their music video copycat live on off the fret and omar what band songwriter or musical composer influenced the phoenix within sound i have a few for me for for me personally uh for me it's uh the killers uh dashboard confessional coheed and cambria the used silverstein uh, <laughs> uh, and and of course all the others like I'm I listen to like you know salsa bachata you know like a <laughs> lot a lot of rap and hip hop so I I I love like the lyrical game I love people who can just say something like I love you but say it like fucking weird like <laughs> that's one thing I like about a lot of your lyrics because they actually have meaning behind them and there's like a storytell behind it it's not just repetitive the same yeah. over and over again. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I like your music so much. Absolutely. And you know, uh, Omar, when the Phoenix Within come up with new material, what formula do you follow when the band writes songs? Nothing really changes. Actually, really? Thoroughly, no, no, nothing? Thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy that, actually. 
because I take it as a challenge. Like, it's like, I know that they won because of their, you know, background and their references and their, the stuff that they listen to, their influences. I know it's going to be differently written than what I, what I would do. So I take it as a challenge. I'm like, okay, how can I infuse this with me? Like, what can I put into this? Like, what, you know, how will my origins, you know, and my, uh, you know, influences, influence this song. And I, I, I thoroughly love that. Like, did that, come at a, did that come at a later end though, Omar? Because I know like, obviously my, my first reaction was, you know, was it the three brothers? Do they collaborate and then present new material to you? Or is it the complete opposite? No, it's, it's, it's all of us. Like, um, so Nick writes, uh, John writes, John writes a lot. Uh, I write, when you say right, uh, is it writing the music or is it writing the lyrical music, content? Musical elements, for sure. They don't really do lyrical stuff. Um, all, you know, John and Nick will tell you that they don't. Uh, John, John, Nick, and James will tell you <laughs> they don't sing, but but they do. Like you know, they just don't do it up front. You know, like they you know, but so, but they don't do lyrics. They don't do lyrics. They don't sing. Uh, they just stick to the musical element. Just, just but what, what about from a singer-songwriter perspective? I mean, what comes easier for you in The Phoenix Within? Is it creating the music or is it writing the lyrics? Either or. I'm down Really? Through. So yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's just it's, kind of like in the moment, like if you hear something in your head, are you that oh, kind yeah. of individual that's like, I got to go run immediately to the guitar or grab my notepad or are you using the iPhone app <laughs> you I, I, know, to write I, lyrical I, content? I will... I will do whatever's in my, in my, I've had, um, I, I recently, you know, if I have a dream, like sometimes I'll be dreaming, right? Like I'm fucking weird like that. I'll, be sleeping, <laughs> okay. I'll have a dream where I'm just processing something, you know, like whether it's something, let's say they send me a track, you know, and I'm just like, uh, you know, I listened to it the first time and I'm like, I, I know I dig it, but I just couldn't, you know, Okay, that's actually a really funny point that you're bringing up, Omar, because, like, what happens if, like, you got the three biological brothers, they're really fucking with the tune that they have going on right now, and then they present it to you, which you are the vocalist, and you have to be grooving with it to be able yeah. to be singing those vocal melodies. Have you guys had those kind of conversations in oh, the yeah. past where you're like, oh, yeah, I, sure. I just can't roll with this? I mean, this might work Yeah, for yeah, we have, we have tons, you know, like... How do you John, work through that, though? John and Nick, for example, they have a hard drive with just songs. And we, they're just numbers. Number 32, number 31. Maybe it's a verse and a chorus. Maybe it's a chorus and a bridge. Like, whatever it is. So we'll, we'll go through. Initially, we went, you know, we went through that. Hypothetical is a perfect example of one of those where they had this thing. And they're just like, we have this one, song number 23 or whatever the fuck it was. And then they <laughs> play it. And I'm just like, that shit is fucking fire. Like, and you're like, uh, no, we don't know. We have yeah, to, you know you it doesn't necessarily fit the flow for the record. Yeah. And I think it actually helps out too. Like you said, they have a plethora of music. So it's not just like they're, oh, we worked on this one song and Omar, you're going to do it because it's the only one we have. They're like, okay, yeah. cool. Next. Yeah, it's Next. just like move on, move on, mm -hmm. you know, or it might be a fact that like they'll, I'll play some, or they'll have something. And I'm like, this thing sounds good. And I'll just run with whatever emotion or whatever ideas come to mind, lay something on top of it. And then they're like, eh, it doesn't really complement <laughs> it. It doesn't really fit. And so we'll scratch it. Like I'm, just, I'm quick to scratch. I'm just like, we, 
Just write another one. It's and you know what's really funny? Oh, go ahead, Marissa. No, and that's the same thing. It goes back and forth because you write so much. And this is like yeah. for all those up and coming artists out there, like the more content you have, the easier it is to just go, great, not working, check the ego and keep it rolling. That's it. Yeah, it's it's like, that's it, you know? And you never know, like maybe the song just needs to breathe, like let it let it sit for a little while. Maybe later it'll, it'll click. Maybe you'll find a different melody or a different counter melody like that'll make it work you know like pessimist was one of those tracks like it was just initially it was it was like you know even the outro part of the and, song and we'll definitely be talking yeah. about that later yeah. no problem <laughs> but you know what's it's funny how you were talking about how you guys are always dissecting you know songs and breaking it down there was something i noticed that i was laughing about that i feel like needs answers because i know i knew this track before you guys released the album and it's called south ozone park but i'm curious why the addition of the new word park was there something that was happening in queens new york where like someone was ragging on you guys it was like where the hell's the park it makes no sense when you say south ozone like are you gonna give us some credibility the phoenix within like what happened like what's the story behind that it's funny. It's, it's honestly just me yelling at myself all those things you just said <laughs> was that literally it were, were you getting a lot of like people giving you crap going like no, dude no, like nobody, well, nobody gives me shit like <laughs> so why the change like but i just thought that was I funny myself. i was expecting like a whole new rendition of the song and i'm like no, wait this is no. the same exact song it's why exactly did they add the, the part to it <laughs> So the full, you know, the full city, right, is South Ozone Park, you know, but in conversation, when you're talking to somebody here, like from here, you know, you're from either Forest Hills or Jamaica, Queens, you just, you just shorten, you just say South Ozone, where are you from? South Ozone, you know, so they <laughs> already know, oh, South Ozone Park, you know, and I was just like, you know, I, I realized when I released a song the first time, I just called it South Ozone, you know, and that's what we called it in practice, you know, when we were in sessions and stuff, and then, when the song finally got released, even though I made the fucking logo and the fucking <laughs> album art, yeah, I yeah. didn't even really, I just went South Ozone, South Ozone, South Ozone. And then after it got released, day of release, I'm like, why the fuck did I call it South Ozone? It's the <laughs> South Ozone part. <laughs> so and, now we all know. <laughs> and now I finally got to fix it and I feel great about it. I <laughs> so, okay, so Funny. thank God there's some reassurance happening between it's Omar some, and the Phoenix yeah. Within. <laughs> no, it's just some OCD shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it first from Omar Feliciano. But you know what, Marissa? Let's show the listening audience what's good by playing the Phoenix Within's music video, South Ozone Park <laughs> live on Off the Fret. Hand me downs and throwaways, dirty kicks and lay away. A single mom struggling to keep her kids from suffering. 100, 226, JHS, and all the friends who understood the need to look ahead. Shout it out, shout it out.
You heard it. That was the Phoenix Within's music video, South Ozone Park, live on Off the Fret. And Omar, I know you can't speak for all of the brothers, but let's say yourself. If you weren't in a rock band today, what would you be doing now? I'd be doing, uh, if I wasn't in a rock band right now, gee, that's really hard to say. No, I'd be in the sciences. So I, I work as a a lab technician over at York College in Jamaica, Queens. It's the same school I graduated from where I got my bachelor's degree. I'd be doing that. <laughs> I still am doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So you're you're still able to live out your musical career while being a scientist? I, I find that just totally insane. That's so cool. You remind me of the guy from The Offsprings. You know, yeah, the lead he vocalist? A, he has the a master's si- in biology, yeah. Right. I almost want to say that uh, the lead vocalist in Bad Religion as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's just so one of those... There's a few of us out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you feel like that's where you would be in. You're like, if this obviously didn't work out, you would be running right I'd into the lab. I'd still be in the Yeah, I'd still, I'd still be in the science. I, I, you know, even if I won the lottery and, it, and they gave me like $80 million, I think I'd still be here. So just like... <laughs> doing stuff in the lab <laughs> well i mean yeah I mean, everything's lab, like a pet for 80 I mean, million dollars you'd have your own lab in your like basement yeah <laughs> like where's omar in yeah omar's <laughs> living the, the gig economy that's what he's living in a stay-at-home scientist isn't that the life that we would all love <laughs> but what was the exact moment that you know that this is the career i want to choose oh for me it was I, you know, I, I, I've always liked music. I've always enjoyed music. Uh, I, the first time I ever picked up a guitar was because my younger sister, who's like uh, at least five years younger than me, she, you know, she was playing drums at like age five. Never, never took any schooling, never did wow. anything. Got behind a fucking drums and just started popping them beats. And then from there, she went to the keyboard, to the you know trumpet, to the cello, to the guitar. And she just got bored of each instrument and let it go, you know, and... So I've always had music around, you know. Um, my mom was very strict though at, at one point, you know, and very religious. So we were limited to what we can listen to. When I got to high school and I was exposed to like punk rock and all that shit, you know, I was just like, whoa, freedom. I was like, that's it, that's it. It's funny that you say that, Omar, because I remember the very first record that I ever bought, and I've said this numerous times on the Chris Collins Show, Millennial Talk Show, but the very first album that I bought was Slipknot's debut album. And my mo- my mother, she's very religious at well, as well. And I remember when I played the track Surfacing, it was like a bunch of F-bombs screaming in the chorus. I remember just like my mother coming running in like, what the hell was that Banshee music? What and was- I'm like, and what was the record that well, yeah. you were afraid to turn on when, you know, in your room living at your parents' home? Dude, my shit was like, you're going to laugh. You're going to fucking laugh. I don't care. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let it no out. Effects. I'm gonna so put I no effects on you. I don't know why. Well, I just think it's no effects. <laughs> I, I had to. My friend, the, the guy who actually taught me how to play guitar, his name is Gary Solman. This guy um, gave me two CDs. One was Nirvana, Nevermind, okay. and the other one was Blink 182. Now you have to understand, though, because of like my upbringing, right? I was just more appealed. It, Blink-182 appealed more to me at the time. I put on the Nevermind CD, I listened to it, and I was like, this is just too much. It's too serious. He's too angry. Like, you know, yeah, he's like, too oh, sad. you're hurting my heart, dude. Yeah, I he's love too sad. I know. <laughs> well, he's not saying that he doesn't love it, I'm assuming. You're just saying, <laughs> no, like, just not, the mood that you I were put, getting so from I it. Put it. I put it away. I put it in the case, and I put it back in my backpack. And then I, I played the Blink-182 thing, and I fell in love with it. I was like, the silly lyrics, 
the stupid cover art, like it was, it was just fun, you know, in, in, in comparison to what I'd been, you know, going through at home, I, it was just liberating, you know, um, I didn't pick up Nirvana Nevermind again until 2013 when wow. I was creating the new, al- the, the first album of the Phoenix Within. And I fucking fell in love with it. Like, yeah, see, you had to like grow. I to okay, grow. I had to grow into <laughs> some of it. us yeah. are naturally, you yeah. know, evolved. Well, because like you, the Scorpio, you, you just had to evolve some more. Exactly. So for <laughs> me, it was like it took me that long, like between you know, I don't know, 2001, all that time till 2013, when I was just like, this shit is fire. Like, I was like <laughs> oh my god, like you know. And then that just opened another gateway for me. You know, even Slipknot. I didn't hear. I didn't really listen to Slipknot until like 2000 maybe the same year because yeah. i was just trying to bring in all these influences and just flood my mind and it just really it helped to listen to things that weren't what i was listening to normal well i think that is such a great comparison especially the blink 182 record and nirvana's mm-hmm. never mind i i definitely hear your side of the influence especially when it comes from your lyrical content and instrumentally and i know uh one of the tracks we're going to be playing is daddy issues and it doesn't really bring up any of those two bands i mean it's, it, this one kind of starts off with more song. of that you know ska rock vibe uh you know it, it's very catchy and then it's almost like to me when i heard it it's almost like the verse is the match waiting to get ignited and then right when the overdrive kicks in on the course it really sets the tone and uh you know but my first reaction was who in the band has daddy issues Oh, every guy cool. every guy i'm sorry that's why i love oh, the song so much no every guy has She's daddy issues they refuse to admit it they want to put yes. all daddy issues on a female and omar so the reason why i love it so much you're like that's right i got daddy issues and it's why I you know what to be honest with you i haven't even heard what omar said i heard what you're saying but then i've seen a lot of nodding happen from omar i completely agree with you there's that sense there's that big sense of denial you know, from everybody. So I thought I would just expose myself, you know, like uh, copycat, you know, the first story, uh, the first song is about authenticity in the artist, you know, and I apply that to myself, you know, before, yeah, I take stabs at people in the second verse, but I apply it to myself first. Um, you know, South Ozone Park is an origin story. It's about where I came up, you know, the places I worked at to do what I can do, you know, and, and continue to do what I love. Daddy issues is just a self-reflection. It's an analyzation of myself. It straight up is. I love it. And, and it's why what? I love you, Omar. <laughs> All females out there love you. <laughs> hey, that's what's good. And you know what? Let's play Marissa's favorite track off Overdue. This is The Phoenix Within, and that's their music video, Daddy Issues, live on Off the Fret.
That was the Phoenix Within's music video, Daddy Issues. And you can listen to it wherever you listen to uh, music, or you can just pick up the physical copy. But let's get right on into it, Omar, because throughout the years as a Grammy-recognized rock band, which is so groovy to even say that, Grammy-recognized rock band, you know, what is the biggest problem the Phoenix Within have encountered in your journey of music? Well, my my biggest thing is uh, one. I don't consider myself Grammy recognized. <laughs> I will consider. Well, you know, for Grammy your Grammy consideration, I mean, that's that's still a very still, big deal. It's still, it's still not good enough. Like, I will consider myself a Grammy, whatever. When I, I at least have a nomination. That's hey, at I'll least be, you got like, those. You know, yeah. at least. And, keep I, a- and I always think about like Quincy Jones. Like Quincy Jones when he got his first Grammy, his comment was, "It took me forty years to do this." Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just like. In that mentality, I'm like, with that mentality in mind, I'm like, oh, I got plenty of time, you know, as long as I keep working and I keep writing. But one of the challenges that that I feel like I always encounter um, is is just people willing to take the chance on new music. I think you absolutely have to do that because one of the news before we even jumped into this interview is that just this year alone, when it comes to the top 200 billboards end of the year charts, not a single rock album from 2021 made the 200 charts. And last year in 2020, Ozzy Osbourne's uh, Ordinary Man made 199. Like he barely squeezed it in. So when you crazy, it's a fabulous album. It's a fabulous, phenomenal record. Yeah. And so when you hear that, um, is there something that you would like to see change in the music industry? I know like back in the uh, early days, I mean, it really relied on the physical copies, but obviously with the streaming going on and taking in YouTube views now is a big major thing. Uh, are you in line with this? You know, are do you feel like it's a, a fair assessment? I think all, you know, it's just one of those industries that it's ever evolving and we just gotta kind of go with it. You know, uh, music is always changing. It's always evolving and you just gotta be willing to embrace that change, you know? And I'm not saying you should change yourself to sound like Billy Elliot. I'm not saying that at all. Actually, you can hear, you know, the people who write that music, you can hear their rock influences in there, you know, like, um, you just got to keep doing, if you really believe in your music and in your art, you just got to keep working. It just comes down to that. Yeah, absolutely. It will get better. It will get better. Um, Streams and stuff. I mean, even Adele, I think it was in the New York Times, I think this weekend, uh, they were saying how she barely made like the, they they made it like such a big thing. They're like, she only got like, what was it, like 900,000, 900, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make it seem like she's like, oh my gosh, compared to the last record, yeah, she's not she nearly pulling it. It's like, have they not realized that like we've been in the middle of this pandemic that just seems like it's just never going to go away and like yeah, it's and absolutely like, ruining the live entertainment like, aspect of everything? I'm like, for a little guy, 800,000 something streams is a well, fucking it, lot. <laughs> well, Omar, I think that's such a funny point that you bring up because it's like, you don't think that the people behind the scenes for Adele's team is going, why don't you take up that Las Vegas residency? Like, why not? Because the live industry gig is shot. It's dead. I mean, they're trying to make a revival in 2022. And I know you guys have had a few festivals that, you know, we'll be talking later into off the fret. But is there uh, one thing that you would love to see change in the music industry? And what would that be? Honestly, it's just, uh, it's always going to be about 
I, I feel like I would be talking about more than what I actually know. You know, it, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's just slowly kind of just taking it in. I'm, I'm learning as I go. It's just one of those things, you know, like I, I remember the first time we ever submitted something, you know, like we had like maybe like zero votes for it, you know, and this year we had a few votes, you know, and it's like, all I know, it's like, all I can tell you with certainty is that if it's meant to be, it's going to be because of the hard work that's being put in. Like, I really, if this is the system, this is the fucking system. Yep. Uh, Luck happens when a, opportunity <laughs> and preparation meet. If, if I could wave a magic wand, then what would be the point of all, like, the sacrifice? I don't, you know what I mean? So it's like, I can't really make the connection there. Um, it's hard for me to, to do that. Like, who wouldn't, you know, want to wave a wand and be like, all right, we sold a million. Like, you know, of what? Like, <laughs> of why? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm more interested in the process. What was in the content? What, you know, the, I, journey, I wanted, the journey, yeah, the versus journey versus the end result. What made what made those lyrics? What made that story? Uh, you know, as opposed to like, oh, you know, if I can change it, then I would have no more pop. You know, and it'll only be rock. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Not, I don't want that either because I fucking listen to pop. I love, pop. <laughs> <laughs> I love what? what's what's popping, what's trending. I don't care. Like if the new stuff is only like three chords. I don't fucking care. That shit sounds tight. Like it no, is what it is. Right. Absolutely. And I know, you know, as you were, you were saying earlier, you know, it's like, as you go on through a band and you guys have been a band for almost a decade now. I mean, you guys formed in 2012 and even during that, you know, those 10 years, I mean, there's so many moving parts happening behind the scenes. And one of the more uh, eye opening headlines to occur this month in the music industry was glam rock. Rockers, Motley Crue emerged from retirement recently, not to play live shows or, or live music again, but to secure their financial futures. And the four-piece act have apparently pocketed a staggering $150 million for the sale of their back catalog to PMG, including the studio albums, live albums, and compilations. And that's $37.5 million yep. each. For each band member. So with that being said, has the Phoenix Within considered selling your song catalog? To who? Who wants it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little early to ask that send, question. Send it my way. Is it, oh, so you guys are more than willing to just sell the back catalog of your well, guys' music. You know, I don't know about overdue, right? Because that would involve a conversation with the other three guys, right? Absolutely. Anything, anything that I did myself. Uh, before overdue yeah why the hell not like, honestly, yeah not. because you know you, it's like motley crew they aren't they alone i mean we're seeing we're seeing imagine dragons bob dylan neil young and fleetwood yeah. mac to name a few shakira, ha, like, shakira all, all right you know they have all sold their song Wu catalogs wu-tang Wu did too and, and get this omar this is pretty insane because the hypnosis songs fund which buys hit catalogs and then gives investors the chance to make money from the royalties also spent about $670 million from March 2020 to September 2020 alone, acquiring the rights to more than 44,000 songs. Isn't that insane when you hear that? I mean, are you afraid, you know, as much as it's like, yeah, you know, the artists are starting to recognize that, you know, these streaming services paying. It's about that. <laughs> it feels like it's then grabbing a stronghold. Like, you know, think about it, right? If music is ever evolving, now it feels like they can put a stopper and be like, let's just 
it's kind of like putting a, you know, they're, they're pivoting everything into one zone, right? So it's like, as opposed to new, new music, new artists with new spins on stuff, that's kind of going to take a back hold, you know, mm. because it's like, here's this big company with a lot of muscle and a lot of connections with sinking into movies and shows playing that same old stuff. And I don't mean that in a bad way. No, but that's so class, true though, because classics, even, but you know, even with the, you know, we're, 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 yeah, no, it's so true, Omar, especially when we were talking about the Billboard 200, you know, end of the yeah. year chart, they take into account airplay. So let's say there's $670 million worth of tracks that have 44,000 songs being purchased. You don't think Hypnosis Songs Fund is going to want all those tracks to be consistently playing on the radio? Exactly. Bet your ass, listeners. Yeah. And you know what? Let's get right that's on into it. We got another fabulous track that's off the Phoenix Within's a brand new record called Overdue. And the track that you're about to hear and watch is the music video Tenfold live on Off the Fret. That was the Phoenix Within's music video, Tenfold, live on Off the Fret. And Omar, I've been dying to ask you this because, you know, it's been a couple months since I've seen you last time on the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show. But how was it like to play at Blue Ridge Festival in Virginia and incarceration in Ohio? Absolutely humbling. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely humbling. It was two crazy-ass experiences. 
Um, I can't wait to write a book about this. <laughs> well, hey, tell us more. I mean, you just all, gave us all like you a need, you all you need is another lockdown, and you'll write the book because the last yeah. lockdown you wrote a cord book. <laughs> yeah, you wrote your first cord book. You write, yeah, you wrote another I one now. <laughs> and we are literally, I'm just like today putting the final touches on the third one, which is going to be third? for this album. Over. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's insane. so insane because you know, Omar. Now that you've gotten into that, I love how you were mentioning earlier in this interview that you know you grew influence from your little sister you know basically playing instrumentals all kinds of variations of music over the years and then you picked up the guitar at a, at a later time influenced by one of your good friends in the new york area and then you come to tell us in the past that all you did was uh learn how to play the guitar by playing tabs and hey no shame you know that's the same way i did i mean i'm self-taught i know guitar tabs but as someone like yourself who's wrote not just one but two guitar books now. I mean, I'm curious. Has the three. band now three? Is it <laughs> well, three? three. three. Oh the my third, god! Uh, the third one. There's going to be a third one, but this one. I love it. John did the transcriptions and for the gu rhythm guitar and lead guitar, and Nick did the transcription for the bass guitar. Okay, so you're you're getting you guys you're getting exactly to my point. Like, as you know, like, I'm curious, like, has the band collectively been trying to read musical notes together or is it not necessary for everyone to know? No, they, they, uh, John knows because I think he, he went to school for like, uh, sound engineering and stuff. So it's kind of like majoring in music, you know, um, Nick doesn't though. Nick does read tap, but he doesn't read music. Uh, I now know how to read music. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we don't want to throw too much uh, no, no. shame at Nick, but I, like I, I, on a level, I am like no definitely shit. curious. On, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know nothing. But have you felt like during your musical career, obviously, because this has been a decade in the making, you know, the Phoenix Within, have you felt like during these most recent times that now that you know how to actually read musical notes, it's made you on that next pedestal? Like I remember the last time you said, if you yeah. want to go to that next level, you know, you gotta, you gotta definitely fist it. I mean. I mean, that was kind of some of the you know visual representations that you were giving me last time do you feel like you're there now you know knowing how to no, read musical notes I, I think it's like a constant journey um i don't i don't think it made me any better but it did like i guess in the in the in the grand scheme of things right like these people who look at everything they're just like well who is this guy you know like this does he even know how to read music i'll be like yeah fool, i know how to read music <laughs> like, you know? but is did it make me all that better absolutely i don't feel like that at all you know not at all <laughs> what about you know live gigs and you know uh, performances i mean does that help with like you know because i know like with myself personally when i jump on to every live show even like today you know i definitely get those jitters and do you feel like now knowing how to read some musical notes does that take away some of the performance anxiety or like yeah, that never yeah, changes yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that that music part is like that reading of music and that writing and, and stuff. I, I feel like that's like for people who want to learn other people's songs. Like I'm not trying to learn anybody's songs. Like I'll listen to it. I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to learn how to play your stuff or cover your stuff. I have enough problems learning my own lyrics. I don't need to like learn other people's lyrics. Like it's, it's not, for, that's not for me, you know, like, but I get the musician who, who is like that, you know? Um, so no, yeah. the Phoenix Within orchestra like Metallica did, you know, in San Francisco, none of that happened in any time. I, I want to see the Phoenix Within's Green Day cover. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
now that you know, and we'll call it, and you guys should do like, you know, kind of like what the Foo Fighters did and just change your guys' names and just call yourself Yellow Day for one day with the basket case cover. What do you uh, say, Omar? Why, might as well. Might nope. As well. Nope. Nope. Yeah, the guy, the, the guys with I like the yellow never, within. No, never, the yellow within. <laughs> The yellow with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, you know, I am, uh, I did want to know this, Omar, because, you know, you guys did play these two iconic festivals, you know, the Blue Ridge Festival and the Incarceration. And I know, you know, 2021 has just been so kooky for a lot of bands, especially because of this pandemic. And are you guys finding, you know, live gigs and tours profitable? Uh. <laughs> so, so for 2022 we're talking about now well you know well in the year of 2021 i mean do you feel like it's gonna start ramping up in the new year i feel like it's a 50 50 right now i i it's like yes it's i could see if you know you could see the big guys putting their flyers up you know putting their their tours and whatnot what what i do notice is that they're shorter right even like the foo fighters one like did you yeah. see like there there's but it's still like not like Right. It's not yeah, and they're still leaving think. venues. I know they just yeah. recently last weekend, I'm blanking out on the state, but they backed out because, you know, if you guys are not on board with the vaccine mandates that they would like to see protect their fan base, then they're not showing up. So, like, yeah. I know within 24 hours, they were like, we're out. We're not yeah. playing the venue, even though we yeah. announced it. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like you got to look at them, right? Like, it's like, what are, what is their touring business model right now you know and, and then go by that because even like for example like those festivals that we played right if those big acts weren't on there would we have been there the answer is no like you know oh stop it <laughs> you know the fix with this is so kick-ass and i know you, you know you guys are beginning a lot of love because i know the music video that we're about to be playing is called lacking and one of my favorite things is you guys reprise one of the most iconic films of our generation <laughs> which is dodgeball and one of the coolest things was you guys actually got a shout out by a dodgeball alum, Chris Williams, who wrote on your guys' Instagram, quote, oh snap, and you didn't even mix the blood and semen together, which I absolutely <laughs> love. That's funny. You know, that that's a, a truly genuine, awesome feedback. And you know, what's the overall message behind your track, Lacking? Lacking is uh, basically the struggling artist, right? What the struggling artists have to deal with. Uh, the lack of support from people who say they come to shows and don't come, the yeah. lack of support from labels, uh, whether they don't care about us or just rip us off. Uh, and they just puts it all together and it's like, you make the decision, man. Do you still want to keep going with this or, or let it go? Absolutely. I think that is so cool, man. And, you know, and I think that is such a real thing that a lot of bands have to go through in life. And Let's just let the music video speak for itself. You know, Marissa, let's play the Phoenix Within's music video, Lacking, live on Off the Fret. Me here 
that is the Phoenix Within's music video lacking, and you can check off. You could check off. No, check you can check out. Check off the list. <laughs> All you guys just made it sound even more naughty than what my wordplay was going with it. But, you know, you can check out Lacking your on word their play brand new. is better than your foreplay. <laughs> oh. Damn, girl. Damn, you just got me there. Okay, well, well I'll admit it. You know, Marissa got me. <laughs> but you can check out that song off their brand new full-length album, Overdue. And, Omar, it's my understanding that with this record, Overdue, was originally titled Overdue, like ending in D-O, not D-U-E. So why the last minute change to the record's name? You seem to have a theme with this, like South Ozone and South Ozone Park. Yeah. Now, what's the... <laughs> so the OCD be t uh, behind this, you know, title album, how did that all come to fold? Well, for me, it was because, you know, like... Uh, when I wrote, for example, the first album back in 2013, it was like, I wrote all the songs, right? And then I went to the studio and I spent a year recording it, but it was done, you know? When I wrote Whispers, it was even faster. Like, you know, Whispers was a fully acoustic album, but I had the songs, I went to the studio and I was done within a few months. And boom, it was well, like, I would assume it's because you didn't have to worry about overdrive and drums and, and all that yeah. stuff. Right, and scheduling. Well, and you know, and all that stuff. And then Overdue came, and it basically took us three years. From the time when I met Nick, you know, the song processing, and then the, when the other two brothers, John and James, came, it's like it took us three years to compile these songs. And I'm just like, like yes, we write all the time, but at it, it was just something like for me it was just like i'm not like I'm not it was long overdue like the yeah, pun was like, long... like y'all are slow y'all are slow you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> i feel your pain sometimes omar i feel your pain is that something that you guys because i know this took like three years to create this record is that something that you boys have like discussed and go when we make this next record we're not nearly spending that much time uh nah, the next time around the opposite i'm pretty sure they all said we're going to take longer. Like, wow, <laughs> no. that's that's intriguing. Well, the record like, labels aren't going to like that. You got to change, change their mind, Omar. I was going to say, because I know a lot of these streaming giants, they clap back at artists like yourself and go, you guys are not going to be successful if you don't drop well, records you know, every two or three years. I feel like that's a lie, though. Like, I feel like mm. it's like you have to give the... For example, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So, like, if you release an album, usually you release it and then it's followed by touring and shows. That element... Is fucking gone mm. we don't know you know we can book a show today and then two days from now the venue is like hey man the whole bar staff got sick so we we can't do it now that show is gone yeah you know, uh, if if you were counting on money from that show it's gone <laughs> like you know if you so where's the overall revenue live, coming from i mean it's it's you know because i thought the live music and selling you know merchandise and etc i thought that's where it was at i mean so you're saying you know that's a with big this... piece of the bread and butter for sure yeah. for and, sure and how what are different ways that the phoenix within are trying to do to try to combat this it really comes down to you taking whatever money you would have used for gas and transportation and making flyers and push it into digital marketing and still selling your stuff but online you know, gotcha it's, it's and you know what <laughs> and you know what this leads to the perfect pun because the next track that we're about to be playing off overdue is called remake and it sounds like you know the live gig tour and event and etc needs a re remake after all so like talk to me <laughs> about 
It's like, did you say need to rape? Did you say need to rape? No, I didn't say that. There was no Nirvana pun. No, there was no Nirvana pun. And if there was, we're putting a loud beep over it. But what I was trying to say is it's like, we need a remake, definitely for sure when it comes to the music industry. And talk to me about the message behind this song. Remake is actually still on that artist, the struggling artist message. Uh, It's basically just you having to remake yourself sometimes. Uh, Taking, you know, the comments and the negative negativity and not really just tossing it to the side, but learning from it, you know, learning from your growing pains uh, and then keeping at it, you know, so it's taking that, making those changes, making those edits, getting up and trying it again. You might fail, take it, learn from it, try it again. You might fail. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. I think that's so true. And I know a lot of artists, you know, they tend to read their stuff and then some don't want to read their stuff. And I think, you know, that's kind of an overall thing that I think is healthy and good for the artist because especially when you're trying to build that fan base, you got to know where your fan base is trying to lead you at. And I think this is a perfect record that speaks for the times. I love this track remake. And Marissa, let's play the music video now from The Phoenix Within live on Off The Fret.
the phoenix within's music video remake live on off the fret and you know what omar myself personally and you know get this i was actually really stoked that this happened but you know everybody's been kind of you know posting around on social media this week you know there's spotify raps and i'm pleased to announce that pessimist landed as the number five most listened song from my side. Like, I absolutely love that record, the, the closing track, because, you know, Pessimists, it's like the instrumentals are atmospherically soaking the listener into, like, a different realm. And on a level, when I first heard that single, you know, before you guys released Overdue, my initial reaction was, damn, haven't the Phoenix Within matured. <laughs> I like this one track honestly Omar it like it almost feels like the Dune movie where like I'm like that's it like I feel like I want to listen to the next record because it feels like it sets up the the new tone that possibly the Phoenix Within is going to explore and it's a five minute banger you know yeah. and the thing is you know the last time you joined the Chris Collins show Millennial Talk Show you mentioned that the Narlis brothers had a heart attack when you first proposed writing this song so why were the boys so skeptical no it was the opposite I oh, was op the oh you were the one that was skeptical oh. yeah I was like what the fuck is this five minute <laughs> like are you fucking crazy like my limit is like three minutes like, <laughs> <laughs> i love that you're like uh looping the lyrics <laughs> looping the lyrics <laughs> but it's like one of those things where it's just like um i had to like step back and just let the music take you where it's going to take you you know like you, you just can't be scared um of trying that kind of stuff you know what i mean um and one of the things that i think that really helped me settle it down was that Nick said something that was like, so this song initially, like that whole riff, the whole thing in the beginning was actually written by Nick. And then John came in and put his Yeah, you definitely hear that bass line yeah. for sure, you know, setting the wrote, tone. You know, he basically wrote that song, you know, um, the music. And so like, it, it, one thing that Nick was like, you have to think about it this way. Yes, it's a five minute song, right? But it's doing different things all the way all the way through it's doing different things it's not really like a b a b a b a b a b right right six right minutes you know it's like they'll, they'll be songs your like, typical punk to, rock song yeah exactly <laughs> but they'll be like okay here's the intro uh it's a really long song pre-chorus like, yeah and it's like it's, all you did was fucking play the same thing the same chorus chords but like way like, too you know yeah or like whatever the case you know like it's still the song but you just added like this acoustic guitar doing exactly the same thing and i was like when he put it like that i was like you're right it's many parts to this song so with that 
in mind, then I was just like, okay, when I started putting the lyrical elements to it on top of the song, I, I try to do that as well. Like, I'm like, I'm gonna sing this part this way, sing this part this way, like bring a falsetto here for no reason, fucking <laughs> scream your lungs out at this part. Right. You know, and then leave nothing at the end. Like, you know. No, <laughs> like, I loved it. Like, honestly, Omar, I want you to stop true. being so skeptical about going over three minutes because, you know, oh, yeah. I know <laughs> I always have that joke, you know, saying, you know, if you're gonna go over, you know, four or five minutes, it better be like a Metallica song because it better be that fucking good, right? You know, but I, I, what I love about this is, is it's like, did, was this like the longest song you know, or like the hardest time to write this song for the record? I mean, was, did this take for me, forever to write? For me, it didn't take forever to write, but it was definitely a challenge. Like it was one of those things, like even when we were in the studio, like the bridge part, even the screen part, that was something that the boys were against believe it or not. So like, it's like, <laughs> I went in and I was like, you know, what if this happened here, you know? And they were like, nah, like absolutely not. <laughs> and then and then I went to the studio on a separate date without any of them. I, recorded the I love that. He was like, I don't need you around here. I'm gonna do my thing. <laughs> Just open your eyes. <laughs> I recorded the parts and then I, and I gave it to them and then I let them listen to it, right? Like, yeah, and I thought they were the heavy metal fans, and they were the ones that were skeptical between their own band. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but that's that's songwriting, right? Like, that's that's how it is, right? It's like you you're pushing each other, like you're, you're pushing each. Like, I feel like it's it's a good push though. It's like you have to push those limits. I came for pop punk. You know, like, right. it's like, you know, pop punk slash religious music. But it's know? almost like on a level, Omar, like you're in that <laughs> pop punk world, but you're in, involved in the boys' world a lot of the times. And they got a lot of those, you know, hard rock influences. And you picked yeah. up on that and yeah. then you use it and then you record it separately and then bring it in. And they love it. I think that is so, so groovy. Sometimes and you have to do things on your own to prove or to show that it could work. You know, like sometimes you yeah, you never know leap. unless you try. If yeah. you don't ask, you have to take that leap. you'll never know. Yeah. Right? And I, I think that is so, so cool. And you know what, Marissa? Let's show the listeners what's good by playing the Phoenix Within's music video, Pessimist, live on Off the Fret.
to the phoenix within's music video pessimist live on off the fret and i gotta say right now i need that guitar book pronto because i'm already trying to fix my bass right now and like i want to learn that bass lick yes. because it's that groovy like it, yes. like you said it really sets the tone and i'm feeling like there's a sequel happening it's like a dune part two <laughs> coming into the mix so you know if you guys want to explore that world you know i'm just going to be advocating for it you know as a side man on the, on the side but you know what you know thank you again for joining off the fret more music more music talk and you know before you leave you know if you had one message to give to your fans and the new fans today what would it be we're not stopping we're already working on some more stuff in answer to your thing it is heavy <laughs> it's only <laughs> it's only gonna get heavier <laughs> oh that gets me so effed up and it's uh again we're always working and, and you know as and always we got to thank them for the support for everything you know the uh the the first seven days of overdue, we broke over three hundred thousand streams on just Spotify alone. That's insane. Thank you. Like all all we could say is thank you. Like to all the fans and all family and friends who are out there playing and streaming our shit. Like thank you. 